Nor did he renege on his promises, handing out silver rings and treasures at feastings. Herot rose high, towering, with horn-curved wide gables. As yet untouched by fate and flickering tongues of hostile fire, that doom awaited, but in time would come, with blood-feud and hate sworn between sworn kin. Then the monstrous demon, stalker in the dark, listened out, aggrieved. It pained him to hear the revel of men ringing out, harp music, the clear voice of the poet retelling the mystery of man's beginning long ago, how the Almighty fashioned the earth, a bright plain surrounded by the ocean, how in triumph he set the sun and moon to be the lantern for mankind, and how he adorned every region of the world with boughs and leaves, and gave life to all kinds of creatures that swarmed upon the earth. So those warrior shieldings passed their lives in pleasant times, until the gruesome fiend among them began to work his evil. This hellish creature, haunting the marches, prowling desolate moor and misty fen, was Grendel, a cursed demon, who dwelt in misery with the banished monsters, Cain's tribe, those outcast, condemned as outlaws by the Creator. For Abel's killing, the Eternal Lord exacted vengeance. Cain gained nothing by his deed but exile from the kinship of man. Of his cursed seed all hideous things sprang into being, ogres and elves and evil phantoms and the giants who strove against God again and again. He gave them their just reward. With the coming of night, so came Grendel, creeping close to Heorot to see what guard the nobles kept after their carousing. Within the hall he found the athelings asleep from feasting, and insensible to sorrow and the miseries of men. Mad with rage and greed, he struck savage and unsparing, Snatching thirty as they slept, then hurried to his lair laden with slain. Dawn came, and with the first-born light of day, Grendel's power was at once discovered. After joy came anguished lamentation. The king, once honoured, now humiliated, sat without his thanes apart in mourning, staring aghast at the demon's footprints. Nor did he let them rest a night, but struck again with might more murderous than before, without remorse, his very nature evil. It was not hard to find a man who sought his rest elsewhere, in places more removed, a safer bed out among the bothies. The proof was clear of the new Holthane's hate. In truth, who survived the demon kept his skin by moving further off, and staying there. So Grendel ruled, defying all justice, alone against them all, while the fairest hall stood desolate. That time was long. Twelve winters the shielding's ruler endured affliction and every kind of suffering. So it became known to men everywhere, lamented through sad tales, that Grendel strove against Hrothgar, an evil vendetta of slaughter and sin, many years of strife unrelenting, and that he would not parley with any spear-dane or pay blood money. No counsellor could foresee any sort of compensation at that slayer's hands. No, the monster, dark death shadow, 
hover in ambush, snaring youth and veteran alike. The lingering night long he ruled the mist-shrouded moors. Men cannot be sure where the denizens of hell go in their wanderings. Many evils the evil foe of man committed, outcast, solitary. He haunted Hairot, the gold-bright hall, by sombre night, but, forbidden of the Lord, could not approach that sacred treasure, the throne. Hard times these were, times of grief and anguish for the shielding's king. The wisest men sat in council to decide a plan what best brave defenders with fierce resolve might do against the terror of sudden assault. At times they even offered sacrifice at pagan shrines, entreating with their prayers that the slayer of souls might intervene and save them in their time of greatest need. It was their way, the hope of heathens. They thought of hell in mind and heart. They knew not God. The Lord of heaven, creator of the world, was unknown to them. Woe unto him who thrusts his soul into the fire's embrace. He forfeits help, and can expect no solace or change of fate. Blessed is he who, when he dies, may stand before the Lord and find peace in the embrace of the Father. So the son of Helfdener brooded and seethed on his heavy loss. Nor might the wise man avert the woe, it was too burdensome and lasting a misery that befell his folk, that most violent of night plagues. So among the Yats the thane of Hugelac heard of Grendel's deeds. Now, in all mankind at that time, there was none like him alive. He was the mightiest in strength, a man high-born and brave. He ordered a boat to be made ready, said he would seek out the famous walking beyond the seaway of the swan, since he had need of defenders. Nobody tried to prevent him leaving. Though he was dear to them, no elder refused. They saw the omens, and urged him onward. That hero of the Yeats picked the keenest swordsmen, fourteen fierce champions. Cunning in the ways of the sea, he sought his ship and led his warriors to the land's end. The hour came. The ship rode the flood in close beneath the sea cliffs. Sand and surf swirled up the beach, and eager, harnessed warriors stepped past the prow to load their battle gear, their shining war weapons, at the mast foot. Then, with a willing heave, their wood-bound craft set out, flying foamy-necked on the waves. That day came and went, a night passed. And then, at the hour they left, they saw bright sea-cliffs, sunlit shore-crags, and looming headlands. The crossing was over. They made landfall. Into the foam they stepped, plunged up the strand to secure their ship, jingling and clinking in mail-shirts, crying thanks for a safe passage. From the wall the shielding's guard, sentinel of the seashores, watched their glittering shields and war-gear on the gangplank. Down he rode, Hrothgar's man, vigilant and curious, flourishing a heavy spear and his challenge. What kind of men are you who seek our coast, riding your longship over the sea lanes, bearing weapons and dressed ready for war? This has long been my sea-watch, looking out for raiders that might offer the Danes harm. Never before have shield-bearers beached here so brazenly, without leave from our clan nor our warriors' consent? 
and this one, a mightier man at arms on this earth I have never seen. Unless I am wrong, his face and bearing mark him out as noble. He is no servant dressed in hero's armour. So, before you journey on, intruders, tell me, who are you, and from where come, and quickly, or further you shall not go. The chief, the leader of the band, replied, opening his word hoard, answered the guard. By birth we are people of the Yets, and we are half-companions of Hugelak. My father, a man renowned among men, was called Edgetheo. He lived many winters. Wise men the earth over recall him still. We come with friendly purpose, in good faith, to seek the protector of his people, the famous son of Helfdener. Advise us. We are on a great errand to your king. Keep nothing concealed or withheld from us. Tell us if what we have heard is the truth. In the murky night, among the shieldings, a secret ravager, I know not what, reveals himself by acts of hideous terror, dealing death and atrocity. God willing, I shall give Hrothgar counsel, so that great old man may defeat this foe and find respite from bitter misery, if any respite may be gained by him. Else he will forever be in its thrall, and the wound fester, while Herod still shines on its lofty hill, the best of halls. Astride his horse, the dauntless sergeant spoke. A shield man, or any man of judgment, must know the difference between word and deed, and take the measure of the two. I hear the words of a band friendly to the shieldings. Come with your war gear, and I will guide you. The men I command will watch your longship and keep her fresh-tarred hull safe on the strand.